Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. Amen. So how's everybody doing today? Doing good? All right. Well, let's pray and ask God to bless the message today. I don't have notes for you. Um, so if you have your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 15. That's where our text is going to be today. And, uh, <clears throat> and I think we'll try to put it up on the screen as well. Join with me as we pray. Amen. Lord, we thank you. Lord, your word is good. It's awesome. Lord, every time we dig in, Lord, every time we read, Lord, we feel, Lord, your mighty hand, Lord, your, Lord, your wisdom and truth, Lord, sift us. Lord, it's like the winnowing our heart once again. Lord, you throw our heart into the air and the chaff of your spirit or the, the chaff of our heart is blown away by the wind of your spirit. Lord, you do it gently. Lord, you do it with love and grace, your mercy. Lord, all you require is that, God, we offer ourselves to you to let it happen. And so, Lord, we ask you now to come. Lord, winnow our hearts so that, Lord, we would be, Lord, have, would have those hearts, God, that are pure, are able to hear your voice, God, and to be able to walk in your ways. And thus, Lord, pleasing your heart, God, and also that, Lord, we would experience the mighty power and blessings and favor of God in this life. We thank you for the opportunity, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, we finished up our series, and I want to just say very briefly that if you didn't get a chance to, if you missed any of the, uh, the Born Identity videos, I just encourage you to go to our website. You can go at any time, valley, valleychurch.us, and just go to the messages, and we have everything uh, there um, for you to watch. You know, I love to watch culture as it unfolds. If you've been here in any time at all, you know that's true about me, that, that I, I'm just one of those kind of guys that I don't withdraw. I'm not a monastic kind of a person, in other words, to kind of go and get on a mountain and hide out from the world. But I, um, but I don't, you know, fully engage it either. I just like to watch and just apply the scripture, because that, that's really a burden of mine, is is taking the Word of God and making it relevant to our time. I think that's important, isn't it? So as an evangelical, as I would describe myself, I believe it is critical that we understand and really interpret the gospel in the context of our present culture. The good news, how can it be good news for this generation? There's so many people who don't understand the good news. And there are times when I see people that are criticizing, getting off my notes here, but they criticize the church, and then I want to ask them, I just want to stop them and say, well, tell me, what do you think the gospel is? And explain it to me. Because what you will find is 99% of the time, they don't know what the gospel is. I mean, how can it be good news if you don't know what the good news is? You know? I mean, to them, it's probably bad news. That ain't good news if it's bad news, right? (laughs) So I'm also a fan of history, as you know, and I think most are bored out of their minds with history, and might, one might say, you know, why worry about the past? You know, what's the point? And I only want to know, you know, essentially, what, what, what's happening today and what's happening now. And, you know, I understand this sentiment, I do, but history is a great teacher. And we look at others' mistakes and successes, and we try to learn from them. You know, I don't believe it's a good idea for us to get hung up on history either, you know, 
and to say that once, you know, if something happened in the past, it will definitely happen again. Yet we know that it does. And as it says, as those who don't study history or understand history are doomed to what? Repeat it. That's exactly right. Well done. You get an A for today. We use words like conservative and liberal. You guys get bonus stuff today. And I wonder sometimes if people really understand what these categories mean when they throw it around out there. Essentially, and from what I understand, to be conservative means that you're trusting of the status quo. You tend to trust that which works and that the old ways prove to be better than the new ways. Kind of summing it up, if it ain't broke, why fix it, right? A liberal mindset, the way I understand it, tends toward the belief that there should not be any absolutes and that old ways are, can often be improved upon with new methods. Today's constants should be challenged to make way for the new, more freeing thought. Incidentally, I, I find it interesting that very frequently the old remedies and ways seem to find their way back into our thinking. Have you found that to be true? It's just like we go all over the world to try to, you know, uh, find a new health remedy or, or something that, that works for our bodies and to make us healthy. And it's fine. And believe me, I'm watching this stuff. That they've been all the way around, you know, their elbow to get back to their hand to find that the old way's still good. You know, honey and vinegar for a cough. Or you could go out there and buy 20 bucks worth of things. Or, you know what I'm saying? You, you, you get my drift here? That sometimes those old ways just seem to, it's like somebody went before us and they figured something out and, and we've determined that, we're just determined to, 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 to make something better. And I think there's some truth in that. I think progress is a good idea or we wouldn't have computers and things like that. Thank you so much, Tim. But these things often find their way back into our thinking and they're good. You know, maybe people long ago had it right. Of course, this is somewhat generalized, I know, but to be a Bible-believing Christian, one can't deny the reality that a more conservative mindset is, is required in order to live at harmony with its message. That's an old book you're holding in your hands right there. Very old. And if the new ways are better than the old, then I think what you find out there is that people are tossing that book away left and right. In our universities, just a book of myths, stories, nice ideas. You know, they forget about, you know, they say, well, did Jesus even exist? And then they have to go back to the Jewish historian Josephus to find out that he recorded in actuality that Jesus did exist apart from the record of the Bible. So you've got to dig. You've got to work a little bit harder, yes. But we find that in order to approach a scripture, I mean, you've got you, you to embrace it. You've got to embrace what it's teaching us and I would say that is definitely a more conservative approach. Some might say that Jesus was a liberal, but that's not true. He was misunderstood that way in my mind. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, you will find someone who is far from liberal, but more of what I would call a hyper-conservative. Let that stick there just for a minute. What I mean is that he took the law, which of course was a very hard line, and he carved the lines even deeper. See, some people think that Jesus was just a man of love, and all you need is love, you know what I mean? And that's just 
kind of, I mean, we have a whole generation that took Jesus' message of love and really ran with that thing to communes and mixed marriages and a lot of mess. Because why? They missed his whole message. It it wasn't just love. And so what I mean is he he looked at what the the law said, and he said, wait, 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 wait. Um, I didn't come away to do away with the law. I came to fulfill it. And, and I find this to be true more often than not, I'm getting off my notes here, but it is that people misunderstand that, that they think that Jesus came to just kind of give us a get out of, you know, get out of sin free card, and that we're not, and that, you know, well, the Old Testament was the Old Testament, we're gone from that. Well, not exactly. Yes, the ceremonial part of the law is done, okay? It's been fulfilled in the reality of what Jesus did on the cross fulfilled sacrifice temple boom 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 it's all fulfilled but what jesus said now look 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 he said there's a part of the law it's called the moral law that it's still he came not only to fulfill but to accentuate take what here just hold on there so the old testament law stated don't murder anyone right jesus said don't even get angry at them or you're in danger of hellfire So I'd say that's not a liberal mindset. I would say that's a very hyper-conservative mindset. See, today a conservative thought, well, hey, murder is sin. Jesus says, I'm telling you that you've got a murderous heart if you look at your brother or your sister and, are, and you remain angry or to judge or to be prejudiced. He says, look, I'm not just going after what you're doing with your hands. I'm talking about what you're, what's going on inside your heart. Woo! I'd say that's pretty deep, very conservative. Mm-hmm. The law says, don't commit adultery. Jesus says, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you have a committed adultery already in your heart. Oh, you can know those Pharisees weren't happy to be hearing that. Because they wanted to accuse him of being one who was, you know, uh, Antinomian. In other words, he, he, didn't, he, wasn't, he didn't want to follow the law. They wanted to, matter of fact, that's what they essentially killed him for, is that he was blaspheming the law. But they didn't listen. What they didn't really hear was his message to say, I, no, 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 I'm, 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 I'm obeying the law. I see the, the power of the law. But what I'm trying to show you is that all you're doing is following the law letter for letter. I'm saying there's something so much deeper And it's what's going on inside your heart that Jesus really pointed out, which makes him so powerful, which made him cut through the religiosity, the legality, the asceticism that we're so tempted to walk in as believers. But I hope you're catching my point here. Jesus brought the law home to bear to the people of the earth to show them that they were desperately in need of a Savior. See, he brought it even harder. What he wanted to do was expose our broken, dirty, black heart. And then to show the life that could come. That if we gave our lives to Jesus and we let the blood of Christ wash us, and if we accepted him as our Savior, we recognize that we desperately are lost. Then he could come and be our Savior. 
So see, what I'm shooting for here is that you will understand that Jesus is not only our Savior, but he is our teacher, our philosopher, our frame of reference. What he taught is our life, our example, our, par- our pattern for this life. To be called a Christian means that you espouse, that you subscribe to the teachings of Jesus himself, and that you're willing, and you are ready to follow the ways of Christ, to follow him. Isn't that what he said? Follow me. And so I really feel like this message needs to be brought to bear in our generation because I think we're losing, we're, we're losing a little bit of a cultural war here. And, and I think we as Christians are getting caught up in it, and I think the time is coming very, very clearly when we're going to have to decide. Now I'm going to turn a big turn on you here, set you up here. I know you're a little, I've, I've, I've taken the tractor across the field of your heart. But what I'd like you to do now is to turn to Luke chapter 15, 11 through 32. And I want us to look at one of the parables of Jesus. And one of the messages, in addition to Jesus saying, look, you're broken, you're messed up, you, 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 all you're doing is following the letter of the law, I'm telling you, it goes so much deeper than that. Once he got him to that place, he said, now, let me show you something. It's almost like he, he was in the outer courts and just saying, you know, you're not worthy to be here. But then there's a voice in the background and says, son, let him in. And so Jesus says, I want to show you my daddy. He wants to show us a heart that I think makes all the difference. It makes all the difference in this journey. In Luke chapter 15, can you guys bring that up for me on the screen? Okay. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to go right through it, guys. We're going to go 11 through, so just go do the whole, uh, do the whole parable of the lost son. So you work on that, and I'm just going to read it. I've got my handy-dandy computer here. All right. Jesus continued. He's teaching. Okay. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me, give me my share of the estate or his inheritance. So he divided his property between them. So the father did what he wanted him to do. He demanded, and we know if you look into the Jewish history of that, that he was deserving of a portion. Normally that's not given until the father is close to death. But he demanded it right away. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. Isn't that the way it usually works out? He was kind of hoping that, you know, he could get a job and uh, keep working. But he was set up, wasn't he? There was a famine. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. What we know about that is him, he's a Jew, now he's working for Gentiles, and he's got, you know, Jews and pigs don't, not supposed to hang out. Uh, you can't eat him, but you're not even really supposed to be close to him. And here he's got a job doing what would be considered a very despicable thing. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating but no one gave him anything. So obviously he wasn't making much money because when you don't prepare for the future, things can get pretty rough. See, 
when you assume or presume on the future, the future doesn't always work out the way you'd planned. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms wide open uh, around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So he's got it scripted, doesn't he? He'd already had prepared what he was going to say to his dad because he was fearful that he was going to be rejected. But look what he did. The father cuts him off. He can't finish the whole thing. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now I'm going to stop there. There's more to the story of the older, the older brother and another part of the story. And I think sometimes people feel like it's all about that. And I think you, they miss it. Because really what I think this story is about is about the principal. I mean, the guy you don't hear as much about, and that is the daddy. It's about the father, see. See, Jesus was trying to communicate something that with his life and with his message, that over and over again, Jesus was trying to say, look, I've come to not only die for you, but I want to reintroduce you to the one who created you. So he's telling a story here that what we really have to do is fit ourselves right into it, right? That's what he's doing. He says, look, <laughs> you're the prodigal son. And you're the one who've run, who, who, who ran from your daddy, and I'm here to tell you how he's going to treat you. The very last verse, verse 31, he says, my son, because the older brother is, is saying, look, I've been working hard, I've been doing this. Now, the older brother really represents the Jews. That was their message. Look, when my kids come back, don't you argue with me about that. The truth is, they're mine, and, and you're going to be blessed because you have been faithful. Verse 31, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. See, Jesus shares this story so that we will all see how Jesus himself related to his father. And that is to get that human perspective, the concept of a father. See, that is such a huge step for you and me. Because I think what, what appeals to all of us, there is that religious sense in every one of us that when we first come to Christ, we see what he did for us, but then we want to fall into that, that modus operandi that, you know, if, I'll just, if I can just work for God, if I can just, you know, you know I'm going to come back and I'm going to just serve God and, you know, that's all I can expect. And that God is a very hard tyrant. And that we just live in this place and we live our, our, ourselves, we live that way without any real hope of a relationship. A real hope of a tenderness. I see this quite a bit. I mean, I think all of us fall in, into that tendency to want to see God 
is not, you know, is not reachable, as approachable. And I just love this because I've, I've missed this over the years. That, you know, it is about Jesus Christ, of course. And we can relate to him because he was human. He did come to the earth and we could touch him. And John said that, you know, we, we could hold him, we could touch him, we could walk with him. And that gives us that human connection. But isn't it interesting that Jesus said, look, I've come that you can get to know him. That you can reconnect with your daddy, with your father. See, Jesus is there on the cross. And what does he say at his most vulnerable place? Abba, Father, why are you letting this happen? The, the, the deepest part of who he is, I mean, the little boy inside him cries out, Daddy. And see, not to, you know, to go to that place, we know that God, was, you know, that God rescued him from that, and now he lives next to the Father forever and ever, and that, that's all been resolved between Father and Son there. But what about us? What about us? Are we connecting to our Heavenly Father the way Jesus intended you know, for us to understand? We see those, those principal characters, the father, the prodigal son, and the older brother. Jesus wanted us to see the mercy and the unconditional love that the Father has. It's very touching, isn't it? I love the story. Because you really, if you insert yourself in there and you kind of walk it out, it's really powerful. Because here's the son, you know, he's been, he's, he's, he's trashed his life, right? He trashed his life. He had all this money. I mean, he should have taken it down there to Jerusalem savings and bonds, you know. He should have put it away and lived not, and drew from the interest. You know, he would have been just fine. But no, he goes and hangs out with prostitutes and goes to the raids and he does all that. It's all gone. It's all gone. Got nothing. He goes to work in a despicable job. What that might be, I don't know. I, I dare even say, unless somebody has that kind of job here. But anyway, we won't, we won't touch that. But it was, a, it was a bad job. Actually, I can think of one job. There was a guy that he was a young disciple of mine years ago, and, he, uh, and I asked him, hey, man, you get a job? He goes, yeah, 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 I'm delivering pizza. And I'm like, awesome. He says, well, yeah, my road is Bragg Boulevard. And I was like, Bragg Boulevard? And I knew there was like, half a dozen strip joints going down that road. And I said, dude, do you deliver? You don't deliver? He goes, yeah, I do. I said, come here. Quit today, you're done. Anyway, yeah. So what we see here is such a touching story. It's so awesome. He comes back, you know, he's desperate. He's going to, I know at least, I know he's starting to feel some of that, that guilt that here, here's my father, he's, he's He's never done anything wrong to me. And even when I demanded, he gave it to me. At least I can go back to him. And he's wanting to crawl back. But what we see is the father. I just love this picture of him standing out there. And when he, whether he hears that he's coming or that he's looking afar off and he sees and he wonders. It makes you wonder if there was an expectation, hoping that his, his son would eventually come home. And he's looking. He's like, oh, it's him. And just the, the father's heart to reach past how his son had abused him and take advantage of him. The demanding and the pushy, irreverent, you know, heart of the, of the son. But the daddy 
rises up. And Jesus is wanting us to see that. That's why he does that picture. That's why he has that, that illustration. You, you gotta understand that Jesus' words are golden when they come out. He's not just saying this in passing. He's saying, listen, guys, I want you to get a snapshot of your heavenly Father that when you struggle and you mess up and when you make a mess of your life and you've demanded something from someone and you realize and, and maybe you're a young person, you said your parents, you know, they stink, they don't know what they're talking about and you go on with your life only to just really mess up and you're looking, you know, for someone to have compassion on you. Someone. Jesus is saying, your heavenly Father is always going to be there for you. He says, I'm bringing that message. I want you to see it. I want you to hear it. Because in the great context of what Jesus was going to do on the cross, that is wonderful, that is awesome, but beyond the cross is now relationship with your daddy. And if you're not there yet, if you're not, in that, if you're not on that way, then you haven't gotten past the cross. You haven't gotten past the cross. And some of you may still be there in the pig pen. I don't know. Just wishing somebody might rescue you from it. Knowing who you are, knowing what has happened for you, knowing even what your inheritance is, it's still stuck there. See, we all have a little prodigal son in us, don't we? See, yes, that was a story, but you know, even Christians, we can make a little mess of our lives. And it's compartmentalized. Often there's a little bit of a prodigal in each and every one of us. We all, and, and this is what it looks like, we all, we, we want to go off and do our own thing. We demand that God give us what we want. We demand, we come to God, we want to name it, claim it, gospel. We want everything to work out. We want our vending machine, God. I put in my time, I serve him, I tithe, I do it, and then we wait. Come on, God, I'm ready for my big blessing. <laughs> but what ends up happening when that blessing doesn't come in the time that we want it, we get angry, and we, we run off. We disappear. And that prodigal inside us, you know, gets more and more, um, you know, embittered and struggle until we come to the end of ourselves. We sang that, that song this morning about surrender. And that's exactly what that young man had to do. Of course, his circumstances led him there. See, we all have it of that son, and we all tend to squander, not necessarily the riches that we've asked, asked for, but we squander the grace. We squander the mercy. We squander the energy and the resources that he's given us. But even after that, the image of the Father is waiting and ready to receive us. See, Jesus knew that. See, that, that's, that's the most powerful thing about the gospel, the most powerful thing about who Jesus is. I mean, gosh, wouldn't that have been something to hang around with Jesus, knowing he knows every thought that's going through your mind? I mean, wouldn't that kind of be a little unnerving? <laughs> you know, you're just sitting there, man, I'm getting a little bored. Jesus looks at you. Oh. You know, if I had that ability during a sermon, whoa, man, that'd be powerful. <laughs> Alan, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I love Ellen. Um, but, you know, but that's Jesus, right? That's only him. See, he received his place, which included a chance to start over. 
So he went, and he went to the Father, and the Father received him. This is what Jesus wanted us to see, that our God is gracious, he's forgiving, he's long-suffering, and he's patiently waiting for us to return, even if we've been squandered all that he's already given to us. He'll receive us back. Not all fathers here on earth are willing to do this, but those fathers who understand love absolutely do. Jesus wanted us to see that about God. I think of David in the, in the Psalms. You know, David um, was not a man who probably had much of a relationship with his daddy. If as a young boy he was sent out to take care of the sheep, he probably didn't have, you know, all those other brothers who took up all the attention. You get this feeling that David was a very lonely man, a young man. And as a result, what did he do? He started looking up to heaven, and he started connecting. He's the one who wrote Psalm 23. God is my shepherd, shall not want. He connected to him on that level out of his great need. Obviously, he does not want us to become the older brother because there are times when we're going to get jealous and we, we see people wander off in the local church and we see them go away. We haven't seen them for weeks and weeks and they walk in the door and you're like, well, you finally come to your senses, huh? Don't you know we're the only real church in town? Come on. See, that older brother mentality. I love the way God treats the older brother too. Because we'd all expect God to say, oh, good, this is going to be good. You know, and he's going to really do a smackdown on the older brother. You know, peeking through the window like you when you were a kid. I love it. You know, I can't do that. I was going to bring up some home stuff, but I won't do that. Anyway. No, 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 no. But... You know, wanting to see God judge those, you know, that younger brother, even that is wrong. And the older brother was calling his daddy to it. He said, look, don't ask me to be someone that I'm not. I'm a daddy and I'll always be a daddy. And see, I think churches, they try to do that. They try to force upon God some kind of a, an image or a, a, a status or a personality that's not him. And if you don't see from your Heavenly Father anything but unconditional love, and however you come to Him, then I wouldn't be listening to that person because they don't know their Bible. And if all they want to do is present to you a long laundry list of things you got to do to be accepted to God before you can get any of that, they don't have the gospel. They're not reading their Bible. So Jesus took... A wonderful story, and he said, look, I just want you to get a picture. Now, he had other parables, too, that balanced it out. He's not just the, you know, the love daddy. You know, there are times when Jesus said in Matthew chapter eight, he said, 18, he said, look, let me tell you how my, God, my, my father works. He has forgiven you a tremendous amount. See, if we, if we carried on our story and the younger brother got all back into his family, he's got the robe, he's got the turban, he's got the shoes, he's got the ring, I mean, he's all good now. And if he turned right around and started judging a servant or doing something, Matthew 18 tells us, oh, no, 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 no. He said, let me tell you how my father treats those people. He said, he will come back and demand that which you owe until you have paid it all back. So don't go turn around with the grace and the mercy and the love that you have received and turn right around and demand 
that others live in a different gospel. That legalism is full of bleep. It's bad. It's bad stuff. We need to let other people know who our daddy is. People are going to be more attracted to a heavenly father who loves them than a heavenly father that's got a big club waiting to beat them. So, what I, what I want you to see here today is this. Yes, Jesus came to fulfill the law and to help us understand that the moral law is still very important to our freedom. But he wants us to see our Father. And in John 3, 16, it makes it very clear. For God so loved the world, didn't he? He loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the gospel. That's the good news. So how do we relate to this world? How do we relate to it? Do we see it that all this talk of sin and holiness has changed and that Jesus' words no longer have relevance? Or do we see that we must follow the one who gave his life for our forgiveness? It just might mean really taking what Jesus had to say about our everyday lives seriously. See, I want us to, to, to see two things here this morning. I want you to understand that the Heavenly Father's so desperately waiting for you. If there's a bit of a prodigal son in you today, that he wants to reach out to you, and he wants you to get that revelation that you can come back, that you can come running to him, and he's going to restore you. He wants to restore you. But the other part of that message is, is Jesus saying, now look, now that you've gotten to know my daddy, let's get moving on here. And let's not live in the soup of just that love and, that, and that, that constant thing of just saying, man, Father, thank you so much for my turban back and my, and my ring. Man, I wonder how much this is worth. But anyway, I'm just so grateful that you've just done all this stuff for me. And then we turn right around and head right back for the pig pen. See, there's now, and I'm sure, <laughs> as we see, if we got to the end of ourselves on that second around, that God would, the Father would still be waiting for us. Jesus said, you know, there in, in, in the, the uh, excuse me, the Sermon on the Mount, that it's about your heart. And when it got, comes to a relationship with the Father, it is all about the heart. And when we yield to him, and one of the first things I think that God really wants to hear from us is just being honest. Just being honest, of just saying, yeah, Lord, I, you know, I understand your grace. I understand your mercy. I understand now that I have run from you and that your unconditional love should have satisfied me. And so forgive me. And God is so ready to receive us back. He's ready to help us to start walking in the honor, in the place that a son should have rather than living among the pigs and not having much. See, our generation has to learn that all over again. Because as a, as a whole generation of young people, they're running from God. And they're going to find out very quickly, as every generation does, that you can't live without him. The good news is, though, they can come back. And he will receive them. Amen.